Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome back to this week's episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. I'm your host, Amanda Nally. Today, Dr. Jessica Young sits down with Bethany Scalise, the Maternal Mortality Director for the Tennessee Department of Health. We discuss the most recent maternal mortality report for the state, the recommendations for improvement, and so much more. Let's jump right in. Welcome back. We are excited to be here today. I'm Dr. Jessica Young, and I am talking with Bethany Scalise, who is the Maternal Mortality Director for the Tennessee Department of Health. Welcome, Bethany. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're going to just dive right in. If you could tell us a little bit about maternal mortality reviews and what those are. So maternal mortality is essentially any woman who dies within a year of pregnancy in the United States. So outside of the United States, there's maternal deaths that occur within 42 days of pregnancy. But whenever you hear about maternal mortality in regards to maternal mortality review committees, it's within that year of pregnancy. Why is it necessary to have a formal process? Absolutely. So kind of hinting at what I mentioned earlier with the different dates and times is when we review these deaths that occur, having that formal process really helps with what time we review and when those deaths occur. And having that systematic process with the CDC and getting all the states on board really helps with identifying, was this death related to her pregnancy? Was it preventable? What contributed to the death? And what recommendations? And it really brings us all together in order to help answer those questions and really helps unify that data to where we can present it as a nation and seeing where we can go, not only as a state, but really as a country to bring down maternal mortality. That's really key to making improvements in safety for for moms. Absolutely. How did the maternal mortality review committee start in Tennessee and what was that process like in getting it started? Yeah, so our legislation passed in 2016 and that is when they really started cultivating all of our information. We started getting as many records as we possibly could on those cases. We developed you know, our scope, which is our pregnancy-associated deaths. You'll hear me hone in those, those definitions. So pregnancy-associated is any woman that dies within that year, as I mentioned earlier, regardless of the cause of death. So it could be a car accident. Exactly. Car accident, homicide, because we really don't determine that until it's reviewed by the committee. So any cause of death is pregnancy associated, as long as it's within that year of her pregnancy. 
And so after we passed our legislation in 2016, we started reviewing 2017 deaths. And we did our review, and then that's essentially when we started reporting was after that review of 2017 deaths. Does every state have a maternal mortality review committee or process? Yeah, so we are very close now. I believe last time we were at 48 states, and those last two were working on the process. So at the point of this podcast, they might have finalized getting that formal maternal mortality review committee with the CDC. That's a big deal to have all 50 states on board. Yeah, it's huge, especially with how maternal mortality got its start within the United States. I think everyone has seen that ProPublica and NPR Mm -hmm. graph Mm -hmm. where it shows the United States is, you know, one of the most unsafe countries to deliver in comparison with other first world countries. And it's really been a movement to try and decrease our ratio and really bring awareness to the situation. I think some people might be surprised that this really has only come to the forefront of people's awareness in the past several years, kind of on a national level. Yeah. And I think it really has something to do with our reporting, you know, and if you've seen within our maternal mortality report, we have a wonderful graph that really shows that once we initiated that pregnancy checkbox on the death certificate is really when we started to kind of see that change in allowing us to really get that good quality data. Was she pregnant within a year of her death? And was she pregnant within 42 days? And so we're able to start capturing the pregnancy. Why is it necessary to have legislation to allow for a maternal mortality review process in a state? Why isn't it something that the Department of Health could just do on its own without legislative buy-in? So Tennessee was, and I actually brag on this quite often, we are legislatively required to have not only a maternal mortality review committee, but also a position that is funded, which is something unique to Tennessee. And a lot of states are a little envious of that, um, that we have to continue this process. And, you know, it's something that is important to the state of Tennessee to review these cases and bring awareness to the situation and to continue to do so. Uh, And because it's, you know, passed through legislation, it will continue to do so. What are the main pregnancy-related conditions that are the major issues for women in Tennessee? So our top three underlying causes of death that have been the top three for the past three years that we've published our report are cardiovascular and coronary disease, preeclampsia and eclampsia, and hemorrhage. And those have stayed the top three since we started publishing our report. Having those top three have really brought an awareness to what is causing these, what are the contributing factors, and what recommendations are backing these. What does knowing what these main causes are, what does that help us to do as people working in public health, as hospital administrators, as physicians and midwives? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, just like any other leading cause of death or things like heart disease that are killing women or obesity, you know, we start to look at those underlying causes of death and what is causing those. And we have, although our recommendations change every year and our contributing factors change, there are those themes that, you know, provide that undercurrent that really stick out every single year 
and it, they really stick out and it's things like coordination of care protocols resources and communication. I don't think I can hit that one home enough is communication, whether it's between provider and patient or just providers between multidisciplinary teams. And it's really exciting to start seeing some of the work that's been going on throughout the state of just communication in general surrounding maternal mortality. A challenge for our healthcare system just in general in the United States is we're often so siloed as clinicians and where our OBs don't talk to our pediatricians and don't talk to our psychiatrists and don't talk to our internal medicine people. And we may all have touch points on the same patient, but don't get all the information. And so it's been, I think that's something that I've seen in the past few years is a renewed interest in how we break down those silos and improve communication. So we're not missing really important, crucial pieces of data that could really help people long-term. Yeah, and that's really been the double-edged sword of maternal mortality. While it's something that kind of shocks everyone, it's really brought an awareness across different specialties of we have this healthy young woman who is experiencing such a highlight in her life where it could go very wrong very quickly. And I think across cardiac and emergency departments, as an ER nurse, people hear that I'm in maternal health and they're shocked and amazed. And you know, before I came into the specialty, I had no idea that maternal mortality was on the rise. And now talking to my colleagues that are still in emergency medicine, they're starting to recognize it, which is something that's very encouraging to hear. Are the disease states like cardiovascular disease, hemorrhage, are top three or four. Are they the same nationally? Are there differences with other states? How do we kind of compare? Cardiovascular and coronary disease, that is national. Uh, that is the leading cause of death for pregnancy-related deaths nationally and has stayed the national leading cause of death since I've been with maternal mortality and especially with our non-Hispanic Black women. That is the leading cause of death in that category. And that is also our highest risk group as well. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that no discussion of maternal mortality is complete without addressing racial disparities uh, and health inequities, both in our state and nationally. Can you talk about what the MMR in Tennessee is doing to address that? What recommendations have been made along the lines of disparities? Absolutely. Yes. And you're completely correct. We, we know we've discussed that national similarity and we're right there with the national discrepancy between the racial biases and that Black women are almost four times as likely to die in Tennessee from pregnancy-related causes. And then I think we're at 3.9. The national is four times as, you know, more likely to die. And so Tennessee, if you look in our recommendations, you see not only is it a contributing factor of biases, it's also in our recommendations. Providers addressing their implicit biases, hospitals educating their providers for their implicit biases. And just, and the CDC is also making wonderful strides in that we are now, we have a decision form that we fill out on every single case to kind of standardize that 
review process and those five questions that I addressed earlier that the committee answers in regards to every case. We also fill out a standardized form on every single case. And one of the new questions is, did racism or bias contribute to her death? And so we do ask ourselves that question on every single case. How easy or difficult is it to detect that when reviewing a case? It's been a challenge and it's something that, you know, myself as a white woman definitely lean on my colleagues and my own personal biases and constantly am checking myself and making sure that I'm not just relying on my own views. And we're constantly looking through the medical records because that's how we get a majority of our data is through the medical record. But we're also getting data from, you know, arrests through autopsies through the death certificate. And so we're constantly looking at how is the language? Was she referred to resources as well as non-Hispanic white women? Was she followed up with resources to care like she should have? How is her community supporting her? This brings it back to how are the racial inequities addressed within her healthcare community? On the Maternal Mortality Review Committee, do you have patient representatives? That's something that we're actively working on. We've really made a conscious effort to make sure that we have representatives from all over the state, as well as every region of the state. So we don't have just representatives from every single metro. We Mm -hmm. make sure that it's rural, we make sure that's metro, and we have an equal balance between west, middle, and east. And Currently, we are working with not only the CDC, but the Black Moments Matter Alliance to reach out and make sure that we're not just clinician heavy. We have domestic violence experts. We have our 10 care and our Tennessee Hospital Association experts on the panel, but we're also wanting to reach out and get more community engagement and get some community organization experts on the panel as well. Let's switch gears and talk about what the major causes of mortality because of pregnancy-associated deaths are, because they are different. Yeah. So the pregnancy-associated but not related, Mm -hmm. that's the key is the but not related. And so the leading cause of death with those is overdose. And it has been, once again, for the past three years, we haven't seen any changes within those top. And then the second is motor vehicle crashes. And then violence is the third leading cause of death. And so that's where we make the determination that the pregnancy didn't aggravate the death or lead to her death, but she was still pregnant within that Mm -hmm. year. Do you have any sense yet, and this may be too early to, to tell this, but we know that both nationally and Tennessee, our overdose rates have increased during the time of COVID and and related to the stressors of the pandemic. Do you have a sense about if that's true for maternal mortality? There has been some preliminary data nationally that there is an increase going on with just the preliminary findings of maternal mortality deaths. With your MMR reports, you all give recommendations for action items regarding all of these different deaths. Can you speak to what some of your recommendations are around prevention of overdose and substance use related deaths? Absolutely. Like I said earlier, they all have that same theme. And I think I'm going to put a little shameless plug for the 
the AIM bundles. I think that has been such magnificent work. And I love hearing about the AIM bundles because it really gives providers, hospitals, and even the patients all of the tools that they need to really hit every single one of those recommendations. It's that coordination of care. It's the case management. Those of you who have read the report, we really are mindful in giving everyone an opportunity to look and see what specialty organization they belong to, or even if they don't belong to it, and say, how can I approach these recommendations? And we even hit ourselves, the Mm. statewide organizations, and say, hey, we need to start doing this as well. And so it really is about, we need more resources for women who suffer from substance use disorder. We need more communication. We need more case management. And providers, you know, being more mindful of their biases as well because um, biases hit substance use disorder as dr mm-hmm. young i'm sure you are blatantly aware in, in the field of addiction medicine and substance use disorder we think a lot about stigma and how stigma affects people's ability to get care interact with a healthcare system or an individual healthcare provider is that something that you think plays into maternal mortality at all? Stigma around particular conditions? Yeah, absolutely. That's actually one of our recommendations is to address the stigmas of mental health as well as substance use disorder. I believe that's in one of our statewide recommendations is addressing that stigma of mental health. And I think that's been one of the great things about the pandemic. We've seen you know, great social media engagement around checking in on your friend and checking in on your mental health. If you had unlimited funding, if I could just write you a blank check right now, what would you do for maternal mortality? (laughs) Oh gosh, that's a wonderful question. (laughs) Um, I am a big advocate for those AIM bundles to give every hospital clinic provider all of the tools and resources. You can tell I'm I'm still working as a staff nurse because <laughs> I immediately go to and organizations. I think more grassroots organizations to reach out to the mothers as well in order to implement the AIM bundles and get as much case management and outreach to these mothers in order to give them the appointments that they need, the follow-up that they need, and all of the education possible. Because I just think to really approach every single one of our recommendations, because you, you see these same themes over and over again, and you just think with unlimited funding, man, the things that we could do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a good point because our healthcare systems are difficult to navigate. You know, they're difficult to navigate for me as a physician, sometimes like making an appointment for myself. I'm like, (laughs) or, you know, my kids, like it just, it takes a lot of like, okay, I've got to put that on the to-do list and make it happen. And I've got to call again and, oh, I can't do it easily through this. You know, it's, it's, a, I think it's hard regardless, but then if people are already struggling with lack of resources it becomes really hard to navigate, especially if there are insurance difficulties or other bureaucratic challenges. But I think also your point about needing resources to really implement these 
quality improvement bundles is really an important one because it takes resources. It takes people power. It takes time. It's not something that a bundle doesn't implement itself. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And hospitals are often really strapped, both financially and staffing and being pulled in all sorts of priority directions that it's, it can be difficult to Yeah. And I got my start in a a rural hospital. So I'm completely aware of the strap, especially the rural hospitals. And I always think about how they're experts in quality management. And I think back to the sepsis movement that everyone jumped on board with. You couldn't walk into a hospital without everyone working towards sepsis and how can we identify Mm -hmm. this in a rapid way and combat it and how we can integrate maternal health with that kind of quick awareness, quick movement where it wouldn't have to put that strain on every, because I think maternal health is just a a combination of that multidisciplinary team throughout the hospital. Because as we know, it's not just when she's giving birth, it's really throughout that hospital system and connecting outpatient offices, the community, as well Mm -hmm. as the front door of the hospital and all the way up throughout. So it's definitely a upstream, downstream, (laughs) integrated effort. And, you know, that there's people way smarter than me that are still trying to figure this out. So it's really encouraging to see how Tennessee has really approached this. We have our maternal health task force that we meet quarterly and it's growing. I get emails every week just about of people who just want to join the the collaborative. And I don't think I've mentioned the Maternal Health Task Force yet, uh, but it's separate from the Maternal Mortality Review Committee in that they are tasked with implementing the recommendations. And so we meet and discuss best practices and how people are implementing those recommendations. And it's really been an encouraging group where everyone can share their ideas and how they're moving forward with the recommendations. Something that you had mentioned on your your wish list was being able to fund grassroots organizations and community organizations who are doing some of this work. And something that I'm really interested in is the work of doulas and other patient advocates. What are your thoughts about how those sort of support people can impact maternal mortality? I think they have a magnificent impact on maternal mortality. I think having that patient advocate, especially with our high risk groups, especially our black women who are at the highest risk, it's vital, especially as we navigate how we identify bias and racism. Having that advocate and communication piece. I think providers are still trying to figure out that implicit bias. It's our hope that it's not intentional and that it's all in the subconscious. And I think just having that person there to make everyone comfortable and to also work as a translator too, someone who can, because the medical field is very, you know, I think back to the days where you're still learning about thinking about nursing school, you know, that first semester is extremely challenging because you're learning a whole new language. And I, I think about that for our patients and having someone to walk through that scary process, especially if it's a high risk pregnancy. So I think they're vital to reducing maternal mortality. What else do you think our listeners need to know about maternal mortality and the work in Tennessee? Just knowing that 
it is an issue. And I know I still encounter that they don't know that maternal mortality is a rising factor with it, not only in Tennessee, but within the United States and how to educate themselves, especially within that postpartum period. You know, I hear moms say all the time, oh, I just thought it was normal. I thought that seeing spots in my vision was, I was just tired. And so knowing those postpartum warning signs and educating themselves of when to talk to their doctor afterwards is is huge. And just educating and knowing the materials that are out there and for providers, keeping up with those current recommendations and never being scared to ask what's current and what can I learn. Do you ever get with your reviews of individual cases, do you get collateral information from families? So we are working on that. We're trying to amend our legislation currently to, because right now in our legislation, it states that we cannot have contact with families. Mm. And so we're trying to amend that piece in our legislation to try and change that because states are currently working on getting patient family interviews. So right now Mm -hmm. we can't have contact with families. So we're trying to amend that. That also might be a way to see if there was racial bias or inequities that played a role. It might be the family survivors might have a good idea about that. That, and especially with substance use disorder, it's, it's a challenge to really get an accurate picture of how she lived her life. Mm -hmm. And especially with DCS involvement, it's, it's a challenge too. And I think families play a really crucial role in her story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. so I think it'll be really important. With COVID-19 affecting our community and the world starting a, a year ago now, has the maternal mortality review committee looked at maternal deaths related to COVID? Yeah, so we'll start our review of 2020 deaths next week as when we we start that full 2020 review. But in response to COVID, because we do receive our death file a month after uh, the occurrence of the death, so we had it on our radar coming in as 2020 was unfolding. And so we did get a rapid review started in September of last year, and we actually did review two COVID deaths last September. And we did post on our website recommendations from those two COVID review deaths. And some of those recommendations uh, were in regards to what providers and hospitals can do with exactly what we learned from those deaths. And we do have other notifications uh, real time. That way you don't have to wait till the end of the the year for those recommendations because we fill those out right after we review when it's fresh on the committee's mind. But in regards to COVID, the committee recommended increased insurance coverage so that hospitals can provide postpartum materials, uh, including a pulse oximeter, for women at discharge, as well as screening materials, discharge packets, home visiting, and increased contact with the patient, whether it was through telehealth or an in-person visit, just increasing that contact when a woman was positive for COVID after, after delivery. ACOG and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine came out with a joint recommendation for pregnant women whether they were at risk 
which everyone at the time was at risk for contracting COVID. So either at risk for contracting COVID or who had uh, positive COVID um, at time of pregnancy. So following those recommendations on top of the CDC guidelines. And there are some other recommendations on there, but those are on our website and as well as our quarterly notifications. So stay tuned for all of our 2020 death reviews because I'm sure we will be seeing a pretty large impact on COVID for our quarterly notifications. Well, thank you so much, Bethany. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and knowledge today. I am a big admirer of your work and the work of the Maternal Mortality Review Committee. It is so important and it is really critical that you're doing this work. So thank you. Thank you guys so much. I'm always happy to talk about maternal mortality. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee. 